You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to The Journey, where we are going to talk about a lifestyle with dogs and throw in a few life lessons along the way. Whether you're a hound hunter, a bird dog enthusiast running setters, pointers, retrievers, or a flat out running dog junkie, this podcast is for you. I am your host, Heath Hyatt, a certified law enforcement canine trainer with over three decades of personal and professional training and handling experience. It's time for me to pay it forward. So grab your leads, lace up those boots, and come and join me on this lifelong process of teaching, training, and learning called The Journey. Do you like to be outdoors like I do? Hunting, fishing, hiking? If so, OnX is the app for you. I've been a loyal OnX user since 2013. It's the one app I can honestly say I use daily. While hunting, I know where I'm at at all times. I mark trails, feeding, bedding areas, and the list goes on. When I'm traveling, I use it to pre-scout all the new places that I'm blessed to hunt. While out west hiking Yellowstone, I knew exactly where every trail went and the difficulty of each one. And here's a secret. I even use it to mark my favorite fishing spots. It's been a game changer at work. I've used it numerous times to get in touch with property owners. I even landed MedFlight one time in the middle of nowhere using the GPS coordinates. Onyx has so many great features and tools, you can literally use it for everything. It is by far the best mapping app on the market. And hey, it's Houndsman XP approved. So get started with Onyx today using HXP20 and know where you stand. Today, we're going to find out what's actually going on in Virginia with the Stakeholders Committee. I've got uh, Sean Clarkston back on, and of course he sits on the Advisory Committee for the American Bear Foundation, and this is going to be eye-opening, so listen in if you want to understand where we're at, what's going on, and how the advisory committee is moving forward. So, here we are. Yeah, Sean. So, you've been have you been out and about deer hunting? Not as much as I want to. I'm heading out for uh, I hope as much as nine days here, starting Friday evening. Uh, we'll see. Are you we'll camping see. or? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go find some place to hole up and uh, hopefully. You know, hopefully go in lighter than I come out. Now, is this with a smoke pole? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to take, I've got an older 
TC inline called a Scout. Mm -hmm. TC made one that looks like, tried to make it look like an old Winchester 94. Um, and I've, I've taken a bunch of stuff with it. I'm taking that and I'm taking, a, you know, just because that's not, you know, hunting with a muzzleloader is not tough enough. I'm also going to take a 62 caliber smoothbore flintlock. Right. But you're, you're more of a, is it you or Wayne that's more of the recurve? We both hunt with anything you give us, uh, mm -hmm. but Wayne's Wayne's probably one of the best shots with a bow I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. I mean, he can put he can take a recurve and put three in a snuff can at thirty five yards mm -hmm. you know, any day he feels like it. Yeah, well, I tell you, it's it's extremely dry. Um, we've got I know you've probably seen this. The governor put out um, a state of emergency for Giles Floyd. Uh, maybe Pulaski. It was four counties surrounding, like right around me. Um, I mean, the fires have been out of control here. It's dry. It's wind. In fact, I'm looking outside right now. The wind's blowing probably 10 to 15 miles an hour. It's just not good conditions for anything, is it? No, no. It's it's dry here. Um, it's dry out in the eastern part of the state, up near Fredericksburg as well. Windy, uh, you know, 10 inches of dry leaves on the ground that just fell um it's it's not good you know they were calling for rain tomorrow but it mm -hmm. looks like they were calling for up to an inch and now it's down to maybe you know 30 percent chance of a quarter of an inch and we need about an inch and a half we need a couple good days of just a a good easy soaking rain don't we yeah yeah even the yeah, river that'd be nice i mean even the river i'm you know i'm not an avid I'm, I used to be an avid deer hunter. Bow hunting was, and when I say bow, traditional. Um, the inlines to me are a little, or not the inlines. <laughs> talking about muzzleloader, but you know the the um, got it on the tip of my tongue. Crossbows. The crossbows to me is almost like hunting with a with a gun at this point. Um, but I, I love to bow hunt, and before I got into dogs, that's. That's where I spent most of my time is bow hunting or, you know, spring turkey hunting is my second thing. But um, I've so I'm, what I'm saying is I'm not an avid deer hunter. We hunt to put food in the freezer. That's why we hunt. Um, I used to chase horns. I don't do that so much anymore. Now, if a nice buck comes across me, I'm not going to turn it down. But I'm also not going to shoot those in between ones either. I, yeah. I, I try to... Um, if I'm putting meat in the freezer, that's different, but there's a nice, a lot of people know where I live, but there is a nice buck here in it within my little range where I can hunt here at the house. He is pushing 20 inch spread, but he is a young, young deer. And I'm like, mm -hmm. man, if you can just make it to two more year, another year or two, like you're going to be a nice for our area, a super nice deer. Um, yeah, well, there's some there's some huge bucks that come out of the Pulaski, Giles, Floyd, you know that area. I mean, there's mm -hmm. some there's few, there are few and far between. But man, when you see them, there there's some bruisers. There's been a couple taken out of out of Floyd already this year. I was down there during the uh, the early antlers only season mm -hmm. that overlap with Youth Day, and uh, there was a young young fellow that had taken a buck during the Youth Day. Uh, Man, that one that one was pretty. I got to put my hands on it, uh, put a tape on it for him, and give him rough scores on it. And it was it was it was a nice buck. It was a nice one. But uh, we ain't on here to talk about deer. Yeah. Well, and I, well, what I was going to say real quick is, 
um, the water's the water table level is so low. The um, like I like to musky fish during deer season some, and I can't even get on the river because the water is like way below average. Like I'm not beaten by boat to death because it normally runs about the the gauge that I watch is I like to have it in that two five area. And it's down in the one sevens and one eights. And I'm like, not going to do it. So it's, yeah, it's been, it's been dry. We need some rain and that's just that. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get some. It's clouded up here today. Uh, I had to make a run to Home Depot and pick up some things. And I'm like, it looks like it's going to rain, but we'll see. Well, don't get out there and start dancing. The neighbors will call on you. <laughs> do do a rain dance. My na- I don't know. My my neighbors are probably that'd be good with it, probably. But yeah, Sean, why we got you on here is, um, man, there's a lot going on in Virginia um, with the um, with the committees and the the meetings that's going on. Um, you and I just kind of briefly touched on it. The social media has been blowing up over what's happening in these meetings and some stuff that's been proposed. I know that I've seen somewhere that there was a 15-page document um, that had been that had been put in place. I don't think all 15 pages have been put on fake book. There's been a page here and a page there and um, so on and so well, forth. I think, I think the biggest thing is um, folks need to calm down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing has been recommended to move forward at all. Nothing. Not a single word out of a single thing. Nothing. They're, they're, the stakeholder advisory committee is not done. There is nothing being recommended at this time to move forward. Um, there are no proposals going to the DWR board. There are no recommendations going to the General Assembly for any type of legislation. There's nothing moving. Um, Anybody that's ever been involved in a negotiation at any level for anything, you probably bought a house before, you probably bought a truck before, you probably sold a truck or sold a house. Okay, you're going to start all the way over here with push as much as you can, right? And the other person is going to start all the way to the other side. And at some point, If there's any type of resolution at all, you're going to meet somewhere in the middle. And that's all these proposals were, were talking points. They're just drafts. Somebody throwing ideas out there to start a conversation. Um, And those aren't the only ones. I mean, I've seen some of the stuff out there. Oh, this page is, you know, a dog permit. Mm -hmm. A dog permit concept is dead in the water. You know, oh, we're going to mark the dogs. I personally told the fellow that brought that up, and was pushing it, I will go write the check to HSUS to get them to fight it if you think I'm spray painting a brand of my dog. It's not going to happen. And that, it got dropped. That's that's going nowhere. It's dead in the water. I brought it up to DWR's executive director, and he, he openly stated it in the meeting that they do not have statutory authority to issue that type of permit. The legislature would have to pass a bill that gave DWR the authority to even create a permit like that before they even got to designing it. So everybody, I realize that, you know, it's easy to get 70,000 views and 500 shares and, you know, drive your Facebook numbers up because, you know, you're out there screaming, Oh, the sky's falling. You're out there crying wolf. I don't believe in doing that. You know, um, 
I think it's better to, to wait, get full information and put that out there rather than just get people spun up. So here's, here's the stakeholder advisory committee process that we have been through thus far. And, and I will go ahead and state it openly. I'm not a big fan of the way that it has worked. I'm not a big fan of where it currently stands. Um, if there was ever an opportunity in this whole process, and that can be debated as to whether or not there was, I'm afraid I think the, the opportunity has been lost. And I'm gonna go ahead and say that um, because of, of a number of reasons and, and not just all blame on one side or to one party. I, I just think that if there was an, ever an opportunity, then unfortunately the opportunity has probably been lost. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but we'll see. So this whole thing started back in the summer um, with the group called IEN for the Institute for Engagement and Negotiation. They're, um, they're a think tank out of the um, University of Virginia. They conducted a bunch of surveys, telephone surveys and, and um, Zoom phone call type surveys with a number of stakeholders statewide. I was one of them. Another one of our board members was one of them. Uh, I think there were 20 or maybe 24 of these things conducted. And from that, then they, you know, they're the ones that also pushed out the, the survey. 8,868 comments were filed on that survey online. From that, they pulled together um, a stakeholder group of 19 individuals, either representing citizens, you know, independent citizens or representing organizations into the stakeholder advisory committee. And I hold one of the seats, my, um, our chapter vice president, Jared Hubbard from Bedford County, uh, multi-generational lifelong houndsman is, is my alternate if I'm not able to go. And Jared's been at most of the meetings backing me up just as a, another set of ears and eyes to make sure that after the meetings we can debrief and make sure that I heard what he heard and get his ideas and thoughts too. So, our first meeting for the stakeholder advisory committee meeting was in August. In fact, I'll tell you what the date was here in just a second. It was, um, back up. I need to take a look at that. Um, August 10th. Then we had another one on August 31st. We had one on September 11th. Uh, we had one in later September, like the 29th, I think, something like that. Um, we had a fifth one in early October, and then the last one uh, that we just had, or the most recent one we just had, was the last uh, was Friday before last. Um, or excuse me, it was last Friday. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm you know December or November third was mm -hmm. the last one. So there's been there's been six meetings thus far. The first meeting was just them going through a bunch of, well, uh, process stuff. And I'm going to use the word process a lot. <laughs> you know, basically saying, well, this is this is what it's about, and this is who everybody is, and these are, you know, this is why we're all here, and setting ground rules and doing all the rest of that. And that that was, I'm going to tell you, that was a real fun four hours to just go through all that stuff. The next two meetings were. A lot of the same stuff and then got broken out into small groups. You go off into this room with these people and you go off into this room with these people and you kind of work away right around the room and talk about different things. And it got all kinds of stuff got put up on pieces of paper on the walls. 
I didn't see a whole lot come out of it. Um, then we had another meeting where we were, uh, we had a really good presentation by Billy Gray on GPS technology because there were some serious questions on that. And, you know, a lot of them came from, from the property owners. Like, hey, how does this stuff work? Can, you know, how does it work? Can you plug in? Can it show you exactly where your dog is? Can it show you, can some of the, um, can some of the software show you where boundaries are and how accurate is it? And how does it work? Does geofencing work? All these things. And there's a lot of technical stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and in a lot of respects, I think that was a very good educational opportunity for property owners to understand how GPS tracking systems that we use on dogs do and do not work. Um, you know, there was a misconception that was like, you know, your underground fencing around your house to keep the dog in the yard. Well, it doesn't work that way. We know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't know that. They know it now. Um, so there was a lot of that misconception cleared up. You know, flash forward to the meeting before last, we finally actually had started having some conversations about um, issues, you know, different concepts and things that could be addressed. Um, there's been a single statute that has been brought up Yes. Three or four times now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not RTR. Right. Believe it or not. Um, you know, the property owners groups, we have done a great job really educating the property owners on how important RTR is and what it does. Um, and Steve, the New Association has phrased it this way, and I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Steve said, you know, he's consistently said, you know, RTR is not perfect, but it's, it's, you know, it's a good compromise, and it is. Who said and it is? Folks, Steve Nicely. Okay. Uh, who's with the Virginia Bearhunter Association. Yep. Yep. So uh, Steve said, and he's right, that RTR is not perfect, but it's a good compromise. Because in the at the end, what it's come down to is the property owners now realize that RTR is the most efficient and effective way for hunters to get our dog off of property where we nor the property owner want the dog. Mm-hmm. They don't want it there in the first place. We don't want it there in the first place. But somehow or another, that dog's got to come off of there. And so there, there is some there is some some ongoing discussion about whether or not there ought to be at least an attempt to notify the landowner that we're going to access in order to retrieve a dog, which. There's a danger in that of opening up the statute at all. Absolutely. Wholeheartedly agree. But I think there's also benefit in it to say, because we know that the world's full of crazy people now. Um, And if you're a property owner, just hypothetically speaking, you have no idea who's coming onto your property. If I don't, if if it's, you know, 11 o'clock at night and somebody's sneaking through my backyard or out there near a barn or something like that, and I'm a property owner, especially in the part of the world that you live in, Heath, mm-hmm. you know, the, the first thought that's going through your mind is it's somebody trying to steal something mm-hmm. or do something silly. Well, it might be an opportunity to look at it and say the world's a little different now than it was in 1938. Maybe we do have the opportunity to notify, not to seek permission, not to say they can say no, but to say, Hey, Mr. Hyatt, I'm coming onto your property to get my dog. The dog's at this location. I'll let you know as soon as I'm off or attempt we ain't got coverage, we ain't got coverage. So there's some discussion on that. But the biggest statute that's been discussed is uh, the code section is 18.2. 132.1. 132.1. Yep, 132.1. Yep. 
Um, and that statute, I'm going to pull it up. Give me one second. Um, yeah, let's read it um, because the 134.1 is going to follow suit with that. 134 and 134.1, correct. Yes. So, mm-hmm. folks, hang, hang tight. We're going to yeah. be talking about laws, and it's boring. So 18.2-132.1, mm-hmm. it, it's titled Trespass by Hunters Using Dog Semicolon Penalty. penalty. Yep. Title of the code doesn't mean anything. You can call it a ham sandwich. Um, it's the language that matters. And, and the language says that any person who, who intentionally releases hunting dogs on the lands of another, which have been posted in accordance with 18.2134.1, to hunt without the consent of the landowner or his agent is guilty of a Class three misdemeanor. A second or subsequent violation of this section within three years is a Class one misdemeanor, and upon conviction, the court shall revoke a person's hunting or trapping license for a period of one year. The fact that a hunting dog or the fact that hunting dogs are present on the lands of another alone is not sufficient evidence to prove that the person acted intentionally. All right. So well, let me go. Let me let me I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to make it clear yeah. to our listeners because I am law enforcement and this mm-hmm. is a misdemeanor. So correct. So everybody gets a full vision of what's taking place here. A misdemeanor has to incur in the presence of a law enforcement officer unless it's one of the five misdemeanors, which I can list for you, which is a DUI, which is a larceny, um, brandishing a firearm, a destruction of um, school or property, and domestic. Mm-hmm. And then there's boating with DUI too, so there's six. So And all of those, all of those have subsequent... Um, and, and he's law enforcement. I'm an attorney by training, not currently practicing. So, yeah, we can go down this rabbit hole. Each of those gives you residuary evidence of the crime committed. Because right. if if Heath pulls me over for suspected DUI, he doesn't have had to have seen me drink the fifth of Jack Daniels. He can smell it. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the breathalyzer will prove it. Same thing with boating. Um, he doesn't have to prove that I committed a domestic assault. He can look at the person and see the bruises. He doesn't have to prove larceny. He can show that the the what was stolen isn't where it was supposed to be and I actually have it in my possession. The journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with one TDC. This dual action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dog's health in four different areas. Their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months, and it has been a game changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, go to WorkSoWell.com. And give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on the journey. Each of those things, you know, gives you evidence after the fact that you can prove. Correct. Um, the fact that in this statute, the evidence or the fact that hunting dogs are present on 
the lands of another is not sufficient evidence to prove intent. Now, that that statute was originally um, proposed and pushed through to legislation by the Virginia Hunting Dog Alliance mm -hmm. and, and other hunting organizations. The the um, DWR CPOs have stated in the open meetings that it's extraordinarily difficult for them to issue citations that hold up under that statute because in the CPO's statements, they have to see someone release hunting dogs directly onto posted property and then prove the intent to release them with the intent to hunt. And it's very difficult for them to be able to prove all of those elements. The other flip side of that is that if they do prove it, it's immediately a class three misdemeanor. That's a up to three months in jail and a $500 fine. I mean, it's a pretty stiff hit. And a second offense within three years is a class one, 12 months, $2,500 and a loss of your hunting license for a year, which then gets you barred from hunting 46 other states. So it's a pretty heavy stick to swing. Um, there's been some discussion around that. The, the discussion around that statute is um, really going in a couple of different directions. One, whether or not intent alone is the right word and whether or not the punishment scale is appropriate for the, for the crime. Um, because it is, you know, it's a, again, a pretty heavy stick to hit somebody with, with, you know, $500 fine, potentially three months in jail, and then three years worth of, if you mess up again, you're losing your hunting license. You're looking at maybe 12 months and $2,500. That's, that's pretty stiff. Um, so there's been some discussion around, could the first offense be a warning? Uh, could the first defense be, you know, administrative fine, like a, like a parking ticket? Um, could it be a warning in the second offense as a, as a, you know, a, fine, a minimal level fine, but not a criminal fine? And then kind of work up from there, um, especially if the, if the language were changed from intentional to, and I'm not going to use some of the words that are being thrown around, intentional to something less than intentional, but not as far as what some of the property owner groups put in there as a negotiating standpoint. What they did was they, they essentially looked at the statute and they struck the word intentional and they struck that last, um, that last sentence. So the way that they had proposed it was if your dogs are on posted property at all, you're immediately guilty of a class three. Well, the first question that was asked to them when that was proposed is exactly this. And I know because I asked it, are you willing to negotiate on what you just said, or is that exactly what you want to have happen? And the answer back was, no, we're fine with negotiating. We're fine. We don't think that it should be as loose as it, we just said, or as tight as it currently is. Let's find something else to make it, you know, to, to find a middle ground. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if it can happen. Um, but that's where it is. The whole dog permit thing, unfortunately, has gotten blown completely out of proportion. Again, DWR doesn't have the statutory authority to issue it. Um, 
the proposal that was put out there was was drafted by actually a very nice gentleman um, who's done a lot of really good work for for conservation in the state and he happens to be an attorney but he's not an administrative law attorney and frankly stated that and he said I'm, I'm not an administrative law guy i don't know what these permit things look like this is just ideas that to to get us talking and he was asked to put that together by ien which i think it was a mistake um but it is what it is, and it's been blown completely out of proportion. I, I, I don't think the permit process is going anywhere, it, not without a statutory, you know, not without statutory authority, certainly. Uh, but it's certainly not something that's being enacted right now. And, and frankly, there has been some discussion as to whether or not a permit might not actually work to our benefit. Because right now, Heath, you and I both know this, we hear it all the time. The Department of Wildlife Resources looks at dog hunters, people that, that use dogs to pursue game, as a liability. All they ever hear is a problem. You know, all they're ever getting is complaints. Well, you know, if there was a permit that we did have to purchase for a minimal amount, and I'm not saying I'm supporting this, I'm simply saying that this is a this is an idea that's been floated. Then now they have skin in the game to protect us because now we represent funding to them as opposed to an enforcement problem. So that's, that's been discussed. I don't think it's going anywhere either. Um, you know, what's not being discussed as well is that some of the proposals that were submitted came from the hunters. Uh, the Virginia Deer Hunters Association proposed uh, for the first time ever a deer dog training season. We're not hearing about that proposal. Um, the Virginia chapter of the American Bear Foundation submitted again our proposal for extended chase season. We submitted a proposal to open up those you know, counties and parts of counties that are currently closed to hunting bear with dogs, but where we can chase bear with dogs, where even the property owners are going, well, that makes no logical sense, whatever. You know, what do you mean you can chase them with, with dogs, but you can't hunt them with dogs? So that seemed to have gotten traction. Um, there were proposals submitted that would have impacted the posted property statutes that even the property owners groups agreed with if there was a modification to the trespass statute. Um, Virginia is one of the one of the only states that criminalizes hunting on unposted property. So, you know, um, we go to another statute, which is uh, 18.2134, which is uh, trespass on posted property, which says any person that goes onto the lands, waters, ponds, boats, or blinds of another, which have been posted in accordance with the provisions of 18.2134.1 to hunt, fish, trap, um, except with a written consent or in the presence of the agent or landowner, shall be guilty of a class one misdemeanor. And then 134.1 goes into the posting of property. So, um, so everybody understands that right now, and Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, but right now, if you get convicted of a game violation, a class one misdemeanor under a game violation, and you just, I think you just said it, they are pulled your license for one year. Yep. So that's in, you know, for me, most of the misdemeanors that I work with in my field are class ones. Very seldom do you have a two or a three. 
Of course, a dip, which is a drunken public, is a class four. You pay a $25 fine. It doesn't show up on your criminal history, and it goes away, basically. So that's kind of how the laws are um, sectioned off there. So a class one is a, is a, I mean, it's right below a felony. Yeah. 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 And, and it's really easy. It's really easy to have a class one tied to a felony. Really easy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, trespass with a firearm. Well, now we've got a firearm and, you know, so there's, there's all the things involved at that point that you could cobble together. Class ones are something that most people try to avoid mm-hmm. um, quite a bit. And the other part of that is that if you have certain employment, if you have a certain job, if you're charged with a misdemeanor, if you are charged with a criminal offense, you are in jeopardy of losing your job. If you are convicted of a criminal offense, you're going to lose your job. You know, I, I used to work in, in financial services. Um, if you even had a criminal charge in your background, you could not, they would not allow you to sit for certain financial license tests. So that's any type of banking, investment, or anything like that. Um, AT, you know, anything having to do with alcohol. Um, you're, you're at jeopardy of potentially losing your job because you've been charged with, with a criminal offense. So there's a lot of reasons to look at some of these statutes and go, wait a minute, does the punishment really fit the crime? Um, and if it doesn't, is there a way to modify things to make it work better? Um, but you know, going back to the posted property law right now in Virginia, Virginia has one of the weakest posted property requirements anywhere in the country. Uh, Heath, if you own 10,000 acres and it's shaped like a piece of pie, you know, so it's got a little bitty narrow end at the bottom and really long sides that goes up to the back end of a triangle, you know, that could be two, three miles on either side. And you've got say a hundred feet of road frontage, right? In Virginia right now, if you posted that property using two purple paint marks by the road, that entire 10,000 acres is technically posted. Now, if you come over the backside of the mountain onto that property, how are you supposed to know that? Um, so the proposals that was put forward was to substantially um, strengthen the posted property requirements. Signs at corners, paint or signs within certain distances between the corners all the way around the contiguous boundary of the property. Even the property owners groups agreed that that was very reasonable if they were expecting people to be able to recognize where their property lines were in order to try to stay off. Um, so there's been some discussion of things that are not, you know, that are not the skies falling. That's going to be the end of all hunting as we know it. And as I said, at this point, nothing's moving, nothing's moving at all. Um, there was proposed to be yet another meeting because there has been no, consensus reached there has been no agreement reached on pushing forward any proposal at all there has been another meeting proposed for january um and we will see whether or not that meeting even happens and if it you know i don't know about anybody else but the odds of getting the hunting group reps myself included to another meeting between now and the end of the year is (laughs) vanishingly small not in hunting Uh, season (laughs) Well, and that's what we were told to begin with, was that we were going to try to wrap all this up before hunting season so that it didn't interfere with the hunting season for uh, roughly half of the people at the table. 
So I, just, I don't, I don't, I don't really understand the rationale behind all of the partial conveyance of information. Mm-hmm. All of the, this is terrible. They're trying to do this to us. I don't understand that. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to participate in it. Uh, what I am going to do is things like this and try to get on here and, and discuss some of the things that are actually happening, where things actually stand so that people can be educated so that they can potentially drop their own blood pressure. And so that they can, you know, wait until there is something real to talk about. So where, okay, you said basically there's, there's proposed another meeting, the, the mm-hmm. 15 page proposal that we're all seeing bits and pieces of, um, we, we're seeing, I've seen on social media outlets that, that it's a 15 page document. So I, I'm just going to go back and recap to make sure that we're all on you're the talking about the You're talking about the permit, right? Well, it was a 15 page, um, document and I didn't, I didn't, I haven't seen the whole thing because it's never been posted. It's always been a page or page four or this or that. So the permit, um, the 15 page document, was it just for the permit itself? There has been, I'm, I'm looking for it right now. Mm -hmm. Um, There were 13, there were 13 separate documents Mm -hmm. circulated. Um, I take that back. There were, there was more than 13. There were, um, There were about there were about fifteen different documents mm-hmm. circulated. Okay. Some of them one page, some of them dozens of pages long. Um, none of them have gone anywhere. So it's none proposal. This one group said. Here's our list of proposals. Another group said, well, here's our list of proposals. And another group said, well, here's what we would like to see. So that's what's taking place at this point. That's it. That's it. That is, that is all that is taking place. Um, you know, I'm looking at right now. There's, um, yeah, let's see three pages, six pages, uh, Virginia Hunting Dog Alliance, two pages from them. Um, another two pages here, two pages there. What was that? Six, 12. There's 30 pages of information that the Hunting Dog Alliance uh, provided. Two pages from us on one thing, two pages from us on another thing. So, I mean, we're talking we're talking 50, 60 pages worth of stuff that has been submitted all with the express intent of starting a conversation and negotiation. Some of the stuff was thrown out there like a kitchen sink. Let's just dump everything on the table and see what happens. Um, 
some of it's just absolutely a non-starter. Some of the things that, you know, the hunting groups brought forward, unfortunately, I think are non-starters. There was a proposal to repeal the ban on fox pens, which would give folks that look to train dogs to either hunt foxes or to break them off of foxes an enclosed area in which to, to do that training as, as opposed to free casting or free running across the landscape to do it. Um, that was brought up. Unfortunately, I think that one's going nowhere. You know, it's the same thing on the property owner side. They, they, they'll come up with something and be like, oh, well, we, we want to talk about that. Well, it's a negotiation. You know, let's really boil it down to what matters and all this other stuff you kind of trade off and go, okay, I'll drop this if you drop that. And you get it whittled down to the points that really matter to folks, and you move that way. Um, from the hunting perspective, the change in the posted property law is something that we, you know, I myself actually drafted um, part of it. I know that there were some other folks that submitted some as well that went in. That's a big one for us because it's, it's really difficult to know if you're on the land of someone else when it's not posted because, you know, 150 yards of chestnut oaks in one direction just looks to hunt exactly like 150 yards of chestnut oaks in the other direction. Um, you know, there's areas in the national forest where inside of national forest boundaries, you've got old posted signs that were there from the fifties prior to land being acquired for the forest. Um, so having it posted properly by, by the current landowner was important. Um, you know, there, but there's right now, there's nothing, there's nothing moving. And my, my fear is that what we're doing is poisoning the well. And we may have actually be ended up making the situation worse now than it was to start with. Um, most of the groups that came to the table had harbored some degree of mistrust for the folks on the other side, you know, Oh, the property owners are just trying to end hunting with dogs. Well, I, I will tell you point blank. I have heard, from the mouths of every one of those reps that that is not their intent they do not they have stated it over and over and over and over we do not want to end the hunting of deer or bear or other animals with dogs in virginia they don't that's what they're saying now i can only take people on face value for what they say um some of the proposals that they brought forward but the way that the language was written have been specifically cited as if it is implemented, you will end the legal hunting of dog hunting of game with dogs in Virginia. To which the question almost always has been, okay, why and how? And that's to me, that's been the open door to to some degree of 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 education. Um and I think we, we've had the opportunity to do that. Whether or not it still exists or not, I'm not sure. Um, my concern is, my concern is this, is that I think every one of us, today is November 9th. It's Thursday, November 9th. Well, we just saw what happened on Tuesday, November 7th, right? Yeah. Virginia's General Assembly just went, I'm not going to use one. Yep. One party versus the other, but Virginia's General Assembly just went much more urban than it has been before. the The power base in the in the state now sits in the Metro DC and the Metro Tidewater areas. They do not understand 
whether or not they respect or not, but they certainly do not understand hunting. They do not understand hunting with dogs. They do not understand rural Virginia livelihoods and passions. You know, they don't understand what life's like in Giles County or Floyd County or Bath, or they probably couldn't find Highland or Wise or Wythe County on a map with help. <laughs> it's just not the world that they live in. So my concern is that if the opportunity is missed in this stakeholder advisory committee, and I don't know if anything can come out of it, but if the opportunity is missed, we're going to end up having to deal with a general assembly that is not inclined to be very favorable toward us. That is not, they don't think the way that we do. Um, it's a different world that they live in. Even though it's the same state, it's a different world. Um, and I don't know what will happen, you know, if, if certain bills hit the floor this year. I don't, um, I don't know if there are any bills being moved forward at all. Um, but if there are, I'm not inclined to believe that they're good for us. And that's, that's my concern with missing this opportunity. I think it's been, there've been a lot of problems with this process. I'm going to use that word process again. There's been a lot of focus on process. Oh, this is, this is the process that we're going to go through. There's been a lot of focus on process to the detriment of conversation and discussions. Um, and I think it's put us all in a bad spot. And right now, we're not doing ourselves any favors by putting up pieces and parts and this and that of, of draft proposals on social media and sending them around and acting like the sky is falling or acting like there's a wolf in the front door, you know, in the front door when there's, you know, there's nothing going on right now. There's nothing moving. So what, what happens if you guys, I mean, are you guys will meet again for sure in January or is this like dead in the water and they're going to turn it over to the, to the powers to be, which is the next session it's going to take over. I don't know. Um, it was proposed that there would be another meeting in January. Mm -hmm. Now we'll see what that actually, we'll see whether or not that actually takes place. We'll see whether or not, uh, whether or not there is another meeting or whether or not that meeting is in January. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to speculate. Mm -hmm. Um, I know what I would do if I were in charge of this whole fiasco um but then again i get a little more aggressive than some other folks on occasion so i'm not gonna i'm mm -hmm. not gonna put that out there I, I would there'd be some heads rolling i'll put it that way um but it's um if this committee doesn't reach any type of consensus on any points that address whatever conflict there may or may not be then I'm not sure what standing the DWR board has to move forward on anything else. Because again, this stakeholder advisory committee is only one part of four. Mm -hmm. And the first part was the board doing its own homework. The second part was DWR staff doing their homework. The third part was the stakeholder advisory committee. And then the fourth part was a combined report and all of it being put together 
um, to see whether or not whether or not there were any commonalities or or how it could be refined. Uh, I'm, if the stakeholder advisory committee fails, will DWR move forward with whatever the board or staff recommendations are? I don't know. Um, if they do that, will the legislature act on it? I don't know. Will the legislature potentially act on its own? That's the part that worries me. Um, that's the part that worries me a lot. Because frankly, as much as folks are, you know, got heartburn about 130, you know, 18.2, 132.1, which is, you know, potential mm -hmm. trespass uh, issues, or as much concern as we've all got with, with RTR, and, and rightfully so, those, you know, bills attacking those are not the ones that keep me up at night. The bill that worries me is one of these freshman delegates or freshman senators from an urban area that gets a conversation from HSUS or PETA and introduces a bill that directly attacks our ability to hunt big game, especially with dogs. Just like that's Colorado is doing right now. That's the one that worries me because <clears throat> you know we've got some really really powerful organizations out there in the country that are dead set against hunting hsus being one of them and mm -hmm. if they saw something like a bill that would remove our ability to be able to hunt deer or bear or both with dogs mm -hmm. they dropped 10 15 million dollars on that campaign tomorrow um and that's what worries me i you know, a fight over RTR, we can win that. We've won that largely with the property owners. They, they're they starting to really understand it now. They Honestly, they truly are. Um, you know, the fight over trespass and whether it's intentional or whether it's another word and then what that looks like, that's one thing. That one doesn't really keep me up at night. It, it, it makes me do a lot of work and a lot of conversations with some really great folks that are trying very hard to figure this out too. Um shout out to my very good friend greg austin um, i don't know if greg will listen to this but somebody else that knows him probably will um greg's one of those guys that will call you an sob whenever he thinks you need it but he's also one to show up at three o'clock in the morning if you need it as well and greg and i have probably had uh, hours worth of conversations on these different things and um really appreciate that but you know fights over 132.1 and trespass aren't the ones that keep me up at night. The The concern that I have is what happens if we get that really clean, direct bill and we've been able to do nothing through these other processes. That worries me um, because there are enough people that are tired enough of, of this fight that they may they may push something forward that none of us want. And even the property owners, surprisingly, even the property owners have been ones in the room saying, we do not want the legislature to pick this up because none of us, the property owners groups, the hunting groups, the citizen reps, none of us trust the general assembly at all to handle this because they mm -hmm. don't understand it. Um, and I think that's, that's that's kind of sad, really, uh, when you think about the fact that of, of groups that really don't see eye to eye on much of anything at all, <laughs> constantly seeing eye to eye on the fact that they don't trust Richmond to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. So and again, let's go back to the trespass. So the, mm -hmm. the, hang, the big hang up is the word intentionally. And for a law enforcement officer, if it's not one of the five things that I mentioned before, 
mm-hmm. a misdemeanor has to occur in my presence for me to be able to take action. And when you put intentionally in there, in parentheses, I have to literally see you grab a dog, lead it over, or turn it loose onto that property. And we know that the the DWRs, that, that's almost impossible to enforce. So I understand that as a law enforcement official, I understand that code. I understand the DWRs hang up with that code. I get it because it's almost impossible to enforce. Yeah. And, and, and I will give credit where credit is due. Um, those of us that run bears with dogs have gotten through to some of the property owner reps there about, Hey, you know, sometimes we'll turn dogs loose over here in the national forest and the bear decides to go on a half marathon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we end up 10, 15, 18 miles away in Mrs. Jones's backyard where we never even knew Ms. Jones existed, much mm-hmm. less where her property was. There's clearly no intent. Mm-hmm. There was no, you know, this was a pure accident. And their response was, we don't want to criminalize that. That makes no sense because there was no way you could reasonably foresee that happening. So it's not going to that extreme. They get that. Um, the question is, what is in between intentional and that? And is what's in between workable? And I don't know the answer. Um, I have a couple of words that come to mind as far as, mm-hmm. because we are talking about a criminal statute. So it has to be, mm-hmm. you have to use the, the, the language, language of the law, <laughs> That's the right. language of the criminal law. That's right. Um, there are a couple of words that come to mind, and Heath, I'm sure they're co- probably coming to mind for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, you know, the one of them, and I'll go ahead and say it anyway. One of them has been bounced around has been negligent or reckless. Um, willful or knowingly is the same as intent, uh, but reckless or negligent it, are, are terms that have been tossed around whether they're the right terms or not i'm not sure um but in those situations we're talking about you know if i turn 10 dogs loose in five acres i ought to reasonably expect that they're probably going to go outside of that property now if i turn 10 dogs loose in 2500 acres you know is it reasonable to think that they're going to go they're going to turn around and go directly behind the truck and run over into somebody else's yard? Well, not really. You know, what, what level, if there is a level in between intentional and and a pure accident, if there's a level between there that can be found, is it workable? Um, Because I think if there is, then we already have buy-in to strengthen the the posted property requirements. Because remember, if there's any change to that trespass code, it only applies to property that's posted with the requirements of law. Mm-hmm. So if the posted property requirements go up from where they currently are and the property owners have to put you know, posted signs with their current landowner's name on it and it has to have markings within certain boundaries, There are some property owners that are going to do that. Absolutely. There's a lot more that aren't. And if the property is not posted properly, 
then that trespass law never applies in the first place. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's like, okay, well, your dog's on the property. Well, they're trespassing. Well, is your property posted? No. Well, then they're not trespassing. Yeah. You know, it's like, you got to do that first. And we do have some buy-in from the property owners to really consider ramping that up. I think it all, it all hinges on that 132.1 statute. It doesn't hinge on a dog permit. It doesn't hinge on removing the word intentionally completely. It doesn't hinge on RTR. RTR is not even being brought up other than potential notification requirement or it's not even being brought up. It pretty much hinges on that 132.1 and whether or not there's anything to be done there. And I don't know if there is anything to be done there. I don't know. if I, I, I don't know. And I don't know if there's going to be a proposal that meets with enough favor from all parties that it would actually work. Right. Well, and again, the, that code section as it states right now is almost impossible to enforce. You've got a code section there that unless you're hiding in the bushes and watch that it is, it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's what this, and, and I'm not law enforcement. Never played law enforcement, never put a badge on, didn't stay at the Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> uh, but that's what the CPOs have stated. Now, you know, there's been some discussion as to whether or not the Attorney General's office thinks otherwise. Well, as you and I both know, the Attorney General's office doesn't actually write tickets and they don't go to general district court. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, whether or not it is actually written the way that is enforceable or not is a question. Um, there are folks that believe that it is enforceable the way that it is written, but that seems to be where the hangup is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, what you're telling me, you know, and I've kind of been on the, I mean, I've been neutral because I know, you know, speaking to you pretty regularly and some others in that's got some, um, skin in that that battle up there well we all have skin in it but actually that are actually up there doing it that you know all the information is not being put out which um, leads everybody to assume and we know what happens when you assume um, so I've kind of tried to stay neutral with it um, I did not like some of the wording that I had read and some of the proposals like kind of threw me way off and I think maybe that's what got everybody in a you know an uproar but you have to know the whole story. It's like what you said. You can't, you can't put out a paragraph or a page and not say, okay, well, this is what it's in reference to, or, or on, on your headline say, this is the proposal. Nothing has been brought um, officially. You know, something of that sort to make everybody kind of take a breath and say, okay, well, this is what the proposal. And I'd strike that, 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 that. No, that's not going to work. You know, I get it. I don't even think it's. I, I, there's nothing mature enough mm-hmm. in any discussions at this point to even be brought out to that degree. You know, it. You've written things before that are first drafts, and by and large, they're probably garbage. That's the beauty of a first draft. You know, you write it and you just kind of dump stuff on the paper and then you turn it over to somebody else or you bring it into a group of people and they tear it apart. And that's all everything that hit the table in this last meeting was, was simply a first draft talking points 
for discussion. Mm -hmm. I will make you this promise right now because you have a broader reach than, than most of us. If there is a proposal that is going to be, looks like it is going to move forward, I will personally get that proposal in full to you so that you can send it out. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I knew, you know, like I said, I knew from talking with you a couple of times that some of that stuff didn't sound right. So, you know, I, I get it, but I do, I knew, I do feel this way. And I had this conversation with somebody the other day. I don't want Richmond making any decisions for me because I don't trust their right. decisions. And right. um, like what you just said, if, if we, if we don't come to some terms here and it just gets shut down and then somebody makes makes the suggestion to them who's got a bunch of backing and can go up there and and push their stuff then we're all we're all going to pay for that and i also know in law enforcement side of it that sometimes you have to compromise to get the best situation out of the the dumpster <laughs> guess what that's what that, that's an easy way to say it you know i don't well it's yeah it's it's risk mitigation yeah it, i mean it's risk mitigation as is, is really what it is because at this point if the concepts that were dropped on the table went forward with no mitigation whatsoever it's like dumping a bag of king cobras in the floor they're mm -hmm. gonna kill you um you know could you potentially beat them all legislature Maybe, mm -hmm. but you're running one heck of a risk and you're running one heck of a risk for everybody, yeah. not just you, but everybody now and everybody into the future. So I think that's the risk that we're looking at is that if we fail in this, are we going to be back here next year? Are we going to be back here in five years? Are we going to be back here in 10 years? Or is it just going to go straight to the legislature and they're going to, they're going to throw something at us that we have got to defeat or we're done. Or do we have the ability to potentially mitigate risk by working with folks and trying to see whether or not, one, they're reasonable? Because if they're not reasonable, then you can't get anything done. But if they're reasonable and there's, and there's enough folks that can work together, can we mitigate that down to where the risk is survivable? So even if it gets through the legislature, because it might, no matter I mean, we all see really good ideas go into the legislature and die because somebody decides they don't like somebody else that day. If they go into the legislature, can we drop the risk level down to even if they survive and go into law or go into regulation, can we live with it? And that's the question. I, I'm not smart enough to sit here today or any other day and say, I know exactly what the answer is to all of these questions. And if we just do this, or if we just make sure that nothing happens at all, that your kids and your grandkids or my grandkids are going to be able to continue hunting with dogs or hunting at all in Virginia. I don't have that answer. What I can look at and go, okay, what's the risk if we don't do something? Because are we, are we gambling it? Are we putting it all in with every hand at this point? And that's my concern um, because, you know, as we just saw with this recent election, rural Virginia and the hunting side of life ain't getting any stronger politically. Mm -mm. No. So, Sean, what do we need to do at this point? What what can we do to um, help the situation? Maybe not help, but we can 
what can we do to better the situation or what can we do as as hunters hound hunters especially because that's what we're talking about um to not cause the issue to get any worse calm down take a deep breath relax Stop sharing or forwarding partial information and trying to get folks all fired up and riled up when there's nothing out there right now to get fired up and riled up about. And just wait. If there's something real that comes out of this process, good or bad, deal with it then. Mm-hmm. Because I think we all remember that old uh, that old children's story growing up about what happens when you cry wolf too many times, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, right now... Right now, if we're running around with every paragraph or every partial page or every one page out of 10 or 15 and everything out there, and we're crying wolf that, oh, my goodness, this is going to, you know, it's the end of everything. It's the end of everything. Well, we might get, you know, tens of thousands of views and a few thousand shares on this one. And the next one, we might get 10,000 views and a few hundred shares. And the next one, we get less. And the next one, we get even less. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens... What happens then when, you know, there really is a wolf or the sky really is falling? We've worn out all that process beforehand. We're not doing ourselves any favors at all by running around, putting out parcel this and parcel that and getting folks all fired up and riled up about stuff because there is going to come a day when we do have to pay attention and we do have to get people energized and to do something. And we're, I think we're wasting that energy. We're wasting that focus right now by getting people spun up over nothing because there is nothing moving forward right now. There is no recommendation. There is no, there is nothing going to DWR's board or the legislature to create any type of permit or to change any type of law or do anything else. We're not even, we're not close to there yet. If we get to that point, I promise you, I will get you that language. I'll put it out to you. You can put it out through your social media. You and I can get back on here again, and we'll go down through every part of it point by point and say this is what is being proposed. This is what it means. Here's what it does. But we're not there. We're not even close to there. Yeah, I like that idea. I feel like, yeah, if you if we get to the point where stuff is going to be put up, then, yeah, I think everybody needs to know and like I said, it, this doesn't just affect uh, Virginia. I mean, like I said, you you guys following Houndsman XP and listening to Chris, I mean, Colorado, that ascent of 91 is going on right now as we speak, which is just what, you know, Sean's talking about. We don't want to get to that stage. And I know I don't want to get to that stage because they may not be running cats out there. They've done eliminated the bear hunting, and now they're, they're working on the cats, so – you know, we we don't want to get to that situation. So, yeah, if we if you get that information, I know, like I said, I know you pass on information to me, and we will pass it on to our listeners so everybody can make an educated decision instead of just kind of running amok. And that's kind of what I've seen last week or so. Yeah, social media is a powerful tool, but it's kind of like that quote from George Washington about fire. Fire is a powerful tool and a terrible master. Well, right now... We're, we're allowing social media to be a terrible master instead of a powerful tool because we're just putting out partial this and that and getting people all scared and wound up and riled up over nothing. 
Mm-hmm. Well, let's turn it back around and make it a tool to actually put out real information when there is information to put out there so folks can really take a look at it and determine whether it's, you know, what the actual impact is at that point. But we're not there. Um, so, again, I think just just calm down, take a, take a deep breath. Um, since it looks like the next meeting is not till January anyway, enjoy your hunting season. Enjoy the holidays. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get your blood pressure all spun up for nothing. And even so, and let's just talk about the legislative session real quick, because they have two right. sessions. This one, if, even if you guys meet, it's not going to go through in January because that's the next session. Well, it's even it's even more um, it's even um, more strict than that. So the first the 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 legislature starts on January nineteenth, uh, but there's a deadline for filing bills and bills have to be filed by noon on January 12th in order to enter the legislative cycle at all. Mm-hmm. So we'll know by January 12th, what bills are or are not coming forward in this general assembly. And there's nothing coming out of this stakeholder advisory committee that ha- I don't see any way at all that anything comes out of this prior to January 12th, because it would still have to come out. It would have to go into a report. The report would have to be, reviewed by DWR. DWR would then have to have a public meeting to talk about it when they could vote on it. And all of that would have to happen prior to, you know, prior to January 12th. I don't see that. There's, there's a week of Thanksgiving, there's a week of Christmas and there's a week of, you know, there's, there's like three weeks total possible that folks might be able to get that done. I don't see it happening. So, a meeting in January that means that nothing really is going to happen this legislative cycle at all. Not at least not through this process. Now what legislators do on their own is a different matter completely. Yeah. Okay. And that doesn't mean that we just sit back and do nothing. We need to get all the information. You know, we need to talk to the people that's, that's making, that's on these boards and that are making decisions and make sure that your voice is heard through them. Make sure they're representing you um, to the best of, of the of their ability, and I think we miss but out on so that. smartly. I mean, we had we had folks sending messages to the governor last year asking him to stop the hound study. There's never been a hound study. There's not a study. You know, we had folks sending the governor messages that were inaccurate. That does not make us look very good. That does not make that does not do anything positive for us. If you're going to make comments, make them appropriate, make them accurate, uh, or don't make them at all. Because the the worst thing that we can do is do something that makes us look worse to the people that actually make decisions. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, we just give the high ground to the people that really are trying to to do things negative to hunting. Um, At this point, just wait. You know, there's nothing coming out of the stakeholder advisory committee right now that is any danger to hunting, any danger to hunters. Um, there's been nothing put forward that has any momentum behind it. There's been no recommendations made. There's nothing going to the board. We're not there. Um, and anything that does come from it, if anything comes from it at all, I'll make sure to get out to, to you and to all your listeners as quickly as I possibly can. And we'll get back on here and we'll discuss it point by point so that folks do understand what's going on. But right now, there's nothing. All right. Well, Sean, I appreciate you taking your evening with me and getting getting what is actually happening. Um, like I said, it kind of 
gives me a little bit of uh, relief, actually, because I wasn't sure what was going on, and I'm sure the listeners were going to feel the same way, you know, once they hear this. And, you know, I appreciate what you're doing, and like I said, just keep us in the loop, and we'll keep moving forward. Appreciate you, man. Talk to you soon. See ya. I've been a member and supporter of Go Wild for over a year now. Man, how time flies. Their social media platform is for hunters by hunters. And if you followed me for any length of time, you know that I'm in the woods or on the water if I'm not working. And yes, some ask, do you work? Unfortunately, I do. It's a place that I post all of my trophies, no matter how big or small. Mine, mostly small. I get tips, tricks, tactics, and advice from people who eat, breathe, and sleep the outdoors. I log all of my outdoor adventures, including the time spent listening to the best podcast in the land, The Journey, hosted by no other than yours truly. So when I need anything outdoors, I just log on to the Go Wild store, pick out what I need, and that's anything from hunting, fishing, camping, optics, outdoor wear, and yes, hound supplies. I'm proud to partner up with the Go Wild team. So let's get your journey started today here on Go Wild.